Hello and welcome to the Monobank History of Scotland podcast, a series of comedy podcasts all about Scotland's history. Funny that, eh? Uh, my name is Daniel, I am your host, I am a stand-up comedian from Edinburgh, and in the before times I used to do this thing that was called the Monobank Comedy Walk of Edinburgh, and what I would do is I would take guests around the beautiful city of Edinburgh, I'd tell them all about the city, uh, I would try and make them laugh, they would learn a little and they'd laugh a lot, right? That was the point of what I did, and that is exactly what this podcast is supposed to be. We're doing the exact same thing with Scottish history, we're giving Scottish history the Montebank treatment, you will hopefully learn a little and laugh a lot. Uh, and if you're like me and the world right now is such a terrible place that you're deciding to bury your head in the 11th and 12th centuries, then come back. Come on, let's stick our heat in the sands together. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good half hour. You'll have fun, I promise. Um, I am not, I should point out, I am not an academic historian. That will probably become clear after about the fourth or fifth jobby joke on this podcast. Uh, do you know what I mean? Don't expect Neil Oliver. I'm, I'm someone who would never in a million years dream of wearing a scarf indoors. I mean, what I mean, what sort of sociopathic mental nonsense is that, Neil Oliver? Anyone's mother would tell you that you will not get the benefit of that scarf when you go outside. If there's two things I take from my childhood, never wear a scarf indoors, and then he cast a clue to me as out. Come on, Neil Oliver. Honest to Christ, what are you hiding in that neck? Is your wife strangling you? Christ knows everyone else in this country would love to strangle that guy, to be fair. I mean, I reckon that Neil Oliver's next, like, history programme is going to be a history of dogging sites of Britain. Him and his wife and missus are definitely into, like, tying each other up with scarves, aren't they? Is that slander on Neil Oliver? I don't know. I, I probably don't have enough listeners for it to really matter anyway. But uh, anyway, so, I uh, this, this podcast, by the way, is not topical in any way, shape or form. Um, so what I mean by that is you should you should jump back to the start if this if you've tuned in this is your first time listening to the podcast go back to episode one and listen to them they go in a, in a chronological order the whole point is in that like you know you can listen to the podcast now or you can listen to it kind of three four five years down the line I'll have a, a lovely little back catalogue of podcasts that is if the world still exists in three four five years it's in the balance at the moment let's be serious you know uh, anyway so. Without further ado, today's episode is all about Malcolm and Margaret Canmore. Now, if you don't know who they are, eh, I mean, that's the point, isn't it? That's why you're here. You want to you want to, to feed off my delicious, meaty, juicy brain. I'm going to tell you all about them. Uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast, folks. Have fun out there, and I shall see you on the other side. All right, enjoy. After defeating Macbeth and then Macbeth's stepson, Lulach, Malcolm finally became King of Scotland in April 1058 and he would rule for the next 35 years. But Malcolm's legacy, it's overshadowed by the achievements of his beautiful young wife, Margaret. I suppose he's kind of like Prince Charles in that respect, you know, except that, well, I mean, Malcolm actually got to be king. That's the first thing. Uh, and he was a, you know, he was a great warrior king, Malcolm. He avenged the death of his father and he won back the kingdom that his father had lost. Uh, he founded one of the most important and most successful royal dynasties Scotland has ever seen, the Canmore or Dunkeld dynasty. Uh, he got the Norse earldoms of Caithness and Sutherland back under Scottish control. He offered refuge to Saxons fleeing the Norman invasion of England and he played a prominent role in establishing the border that we recognise today between Scotland and... I mean, really, like, truth be told, he's nothing like Prince Charles, is he? Let's face it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Prince Charles... Prince Charles is a guy who's mainly famous for just waiting on his maw to die, isn't he? You know, I feel like... I feel like he really missed an opportunity with the old coronavirus. Prince Charles, you know, that was his chance. 
Um, because let's face it, like we do, it's time for a change in the British monarchy, right? I, for one, feel that we need an injection of energy and rejuvenation that only a 71-year-old man can bring to the throne. Now, the glamorous wife in question is Malcolm's second wife, Margaret. So, you know, the reverse of Prince Charles in that respect. And... Um, Margaret, the oldest surviving building in Edinburgh is St Margaret's Chapel in Edinburgh Castle. And the chapel was built in 1130 by Margaret's youngest son, David, King David I. And it was built in her honour. And just over 100 years after he built that chapel in the year 1250, Margaret, she was made a saint. She was canonised, right? And in order to become a saint, you've got to have a miracle on your record, right? And St Margaret's miracle... I reckon is the most Scottish miracle going because it is incredibly boring and uninspired, right? So Margaret's miracle is this. One day she was riding her pony, right, over a stream. And as she was riding her pony over the stream, her Bible fell out into the water, right? And when Margaret picked up the Bible, it was still dry. And that's it. She basically got a sainthood for having a Ziploc bag, for Christ's sake. It, 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 seems a, it seems a tad easy, that one, doesn't it? You know. And Malcolm, he was the complete opposite. He was, uh, well, the complete opposite of Margaret. Malcolm was an aggressive, illiterate, boorish, and statesmanlike character who, you know, would tweet in capital letters. The name Canmore can actually be translated from Gaelic as either Great Chief or Big Head. Depending, I suppose, on whether you think he's a prick or not. I suppose I would still rather be known for having a big head than having tiny wee orange hands, admittedly. So you had these these two these two kind of chalk and cheese characters, uh, the beautiful young Margaret and the kind of gruff, boorish, aggressive Malcolm. I mean, if that is what qualifies you for sainthood, being married to a gruff, boorish, aggressive Scotsman, then I reckon it qualifies about eighty percent of Scottish women for sainthoods. So Malcolm Canmore was crowned at Schoon in April 1058 and his immediate preoccupation at the beginning of his reign was the north of Scotland, which at that time was under the control of the great Norse chieftain Thorfinn the Mighty. Now luckily for Malcolm, Thorfinn, unlike Queen Elizabeth II, wasn't immortal. And uh, and he died at the perfect time for Malcolm. Yet another thing that Malcolm has over Prince Charles in that respect. Thorfinn died around the same time that Malcolm was coronated. And so Malcolm then married Thorfinn's wife, Ingeborg, because, you know, marrying your greatest enemy's widow was all the rage back then. And so this marriage helped to bring the Norse earldoms in the north under the control of Malcolm. And Ingeborg, she died around 1069, but she gave birth to two sons, Duncan, who'd become the future Duncan II, and PJ. So she had she had two boys, uh, PJ and Duncan. <laughs> no, the other one, the other one was actually called Donald. Um, but uh, you know, there's, there's nothing really all that notable um, about him. So he probably is PJ then, isn't he? Like whichever one deck is, whichever one the boring one is who doesn't like, you know, get drunk and, and run people over. Aye, that, that would probably be Donald. So after bringing the North to heel, Malcolm's obsession became gaining the lands of Cumbria and Northumberland. There was no clear border between Scotland and England at that time. And so these lands, they were constantly disputed between Scotland and England. I guess they were kind of like uh, the Falkland Islands of the time, except, you know, one of the countries that was laying claim to them wasn't 9,000 miles away. Um, 
but it became a real obsession of Malcolm's um, his reign. He was con- he was obsessed with trying to get Cumbria and Northumberland into the Kingdom of Scotland. And after the death of Seward, the the Viking Earl of Northumbria, who had helped Malcolm to defeat Macbeth, Malcolm took the opportunity to raid Northumbria, which was now under the control of the Wessex warlord Tostig, who was the half-brother of Harold Godwinson, who's you know famed for getting fucked in the eye with an arrow at the Battle of Hastings. In 1061, Malcolm began the first of five unsuccessful raids of Northumberland and Cumbria, the last of which in 1093 would result in his death. But listen, you know what they say, right? If at first you don't succeed, try and try and try and try again and then die on your final attempt. Margaret's arrival in Scotland was as a direct result of the 1066 Norman invasion of England. Edward the Confessor had died without an heir and apparently he had promised every single prick that he had run into that they could be the next King of England. The result being the invasion by William the Conqueror and the Normans helping themselves to the English throne. Now, the Normans, they're remembered as being a very civilised, kind of French, knightly culture, but the, the Normans were essentially just Vikings. The Vikings who came to Scotland, they were predominantly from Norway, but the Normans, they were Danish Vikings who invaded the north of France in the early 10th century. So they invade the north of France and the French king at the time, Charles the Simple, uh, finally, right, someone who Charles has something in common with. Um, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that Prince Charles the Simple, I, I meant their names, they're both called Charles, right? I'm not, I wouldn't suggest that Prince Charles is simple, uh, despite the fact that he travelled the length of the country during lockdown to isolate a Balmoral while infected with COVID-19. I'm not suggesting he's simple, just a prick, basically. Um, But anyway, Charles is simple, the French one. He offered these invading uh, Vikings land in the north of France to kind of act as a buffer against any further invasions. And that part of France became known as Normandy, and the Normans basically just means Norse men. So that's where it comes from. But anyway, like a magic bus promising £350 million a week to the NHS, Edward, the confessor, he seems to have promised the world and and not been able to deliver. But one of the claimants to the English throne was Margaret's brother, Edgar. Now, Margaret was born in Hungary, and after Edward, the confessor, died, she travelled with her brother to, to uphold his claim to the English throne. Now, Edward gave up his claim to Harold Godwinson, once again, famed for getting fucked in the eye with an arrow. And when William the Conqueror conquered the shit out of England, Edgar and Margaret, they were attempting to flee back to Hungary after an unsuccessful rebellion in the north of England when their ship was blown off course and washed ashore at Fife. Now, fleeing a war zone and then ending up in Fife is very much a case of out of the frying pan and into the fire. But Malcolm, Malcolm Canmore, he rides out from Edinburgh Castle to meet these royal castaways and he immediately falls in love with the beautiful young 20-something Hungarian princess Margaret. It really was a case of middle-aged man in position of power sees hot young woman love at first sight type moments. You know, it's a bit like when Leonardo DiCaprio tries to find a date for the Oscars, you know. And Malcolm was lucky. Do you know what I mean? Like this was the this was the first time in his life that including Fife in his Tinder radius had actually paid off for the guy. Because just months after Margaret was washed ashore at Fife, he, uh, she, and Mar- she and Malcolm were married. For Edgar, the marriage offered a, a powerful ally against Norman usurpers of the throne, and for Malcolm, 
the marriage to a, or being married to someone with a connection to the throne of England, it legitimised his raids into Northumberland and Cumbria. In 1070, Malcolm supported an English rebellion which was quashed by William, who then launches a counter-invasion of Scotland as a result. It was the first invasion of Scotland since the Romans. And the result was the 1072 Abernethy submission, whereby Malcolm agrees to no longer harbour Edgar, and he also surrenders his eldest son to Ingeborg Duncan. He hands him over to, uh, to William. Like, can you imagine that? Imagine handing over your own son to your greatest enemy. The only person I know that would do something like that is Donald Trump with that kid that he keeps hidden away. You know the one of his kids that he actually doesn't want to pump? He'd just be like, oh, oh, Baron. I forgot he was here, to be honest with you. I ain't bother. You can have that wee prick. <laughs> Are you sure you want Baron, though? You, really? You don't, want, you don't want one of the sexy ones, no? Now, it's not clear whether Malcolm submitted to William at Abernethy. I mean, he was literate. He wouldn't have had a clue what the hell he was signing anyway. But either way, Malcolm paid zero attention to it, even if he did submit. And he continued to invade the north of England. He invaded again in 1079 with the exact same result. He tried to take the north of England. There was a counter-invasion, this time led by William's son, William II. And there was a renewal of the Abernessy submission. This time, however, a border was agreed between the Solway Firth and the Tyne. And to try and stop um, further attacks coming from Scotland... William II, he built the new castle in 1091. The idea being that he would create a race of people called Geordies. A race of people so mental that even Scottish people would be like, ah, listen, forget this. They are absolutely bonkers doing there. Let's just uh, let's just leave them to it. Honest to Christ, man. They are nuts, they folks. So what of Margaret Canmore? Well, after her marriage to Malcolm, her impact in Scotland was was immediate. You see, Margaret, Margaret was raised in Hungary under the, the universal Catholic Church. It's very, very important that the Catholic Church is, is rated universal in order to, uh, you know, attract children. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a big, big part of the old Catholic Church, that one. And Scotland at that time, um, at the end of the 11th century, it was still a part of the, the Celtic Church of Iona that had been established by St. Columba. So Margaret, one of the, the first things, and one of the most lasting things that she does, is she begins to move Scotland away from the Celtic Church of Iona towards the, the universal kind of Roman church with its base in Rome and the Pope and all that kind of stuff. And she, she did stuff like she encouraged pilgrimage to St. Andrews, uh, and the spot at which you cross the fourth to get to Fife, to get to St. Andrews, to go and pilgrimage. I mean, you'd, you'd go on pilgrimage there now for, I don't know, if you, if you worshipped Geelys and, and Hunter Wellies, probably more likely. But anyway, the spot where you, you cross um, is, is called Queen's Ferry, and that's because she set up a free ferry crossing, the Queen's Ferry, hence Queen's Ferry. Uh, Margaret, she did things like offered asylum to Anglo-Saxons who were fleeing the Normans, and she's credited, or blamed, with the Anglicization of southern Scotland. And because of Margaret and Malcolm, there's a, a real cultural difference begins to establish itself between Highland and Lowland Scotland. Uh, Margaret, she installed a church at Dunfermline that her son, King David I, uh, would then raise to an abbey. And under Malcolm and Margaret's reign, there was greater centralisation of government and Scotland was, was brought into the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this move from a country that was mainly kind of Gallic speaking with realms of, of kind of semi-autonomous princedoms, so essentially the clan system as it were, 
um, where, you know, kind of autonomous clans ruling themselves, and a move to a more centralised monarchy with a church in line with the continental model. This is what kingdoms in, in Western Europe were looking like at that time. So essentially, Margaret is the, the woman who was responsible for bringing Scotland into Europe, um, probably at that time against our will, only for Boris to then take us back out again 950 years later, this time fucking definitely against our will. And Malcolm and Margaret, uh, they had two daughters, Edith and Mary, both of whom married into the English royal family. Edith married William the Conqueror's son, Henry I. Um, so again, further anglicising Scotland, more links with England um, and with kind of Norman culture as well. And Malcolm and Margaret's sons, Edgar, Alexander and David, quite remarkably, all of them would go on to rule as successive kings of Scotland. The only one of Margaret and Malcolm's sons who wouldn't go on to be king of Scotland was their eldest son, Edward. And that's because he died fighting alongside his father, Malcolm, on one last disastrous raid of northern England in 1093. You see, Malcolm, he had been frustrated by the, the building of Carlisle Castle and um, by William II. And so he and Edward, they sent off on, on one last kind of fateful expedition into Northumbria. And their army was ambushed near the castle of Alnwick by the Norman Earl of Northumbria, Robert de Mowbray. Now, Margaret, while this was going on, she was in her sickbed in Edinburgh Castle. And when Malcolm and Edward had set off on this last fateful invasion, she had had a, a, a premonition of disastrous consequences for them. And she had pleaded with them not to go. Now, I doubt this makes it any kind of profit or anything. I don't know if it adds to her saintliness. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's bear in mind that Malcolm had attempted this four times previously and bollocks it up every single time. I doubt it makes her much of a, you know, Notre Dame or anything like that. But uh, the news of Malcolm and Edward's death, it, it was too much for Margaret to take. She died three days later in Edinburgh Castle of a, of a broken heart or whatever the fuck she was suffering from. And uh, her and Malcolm, they're buried next to each other in Dunfermline. Um, although 500 years later, Mary Queen of Scots, she would have Margaret's body dug up and her head removed and placed in her birthing chamber, like a kind of early version of Alexa or something. It'd be brilliant if Mary Queen of Scots had ever been on uh, Countdown. That'd be one hell of a, a good luck charm, that, wouldn't it? There's actually another interesting story regarding Margaret Canmore's um, remains, because when she was made a saint in 1250... Um, they had prepared a, a new grand high altar in kind of keeping with her status as a saint. And so they had to they had to move her body from the the kind of more humble burial plot where she was, right? And when the bodies went to when the when the monks, sorry, went to move her body, it was like the coffin just filled with lead. It didn't matter how many of them they, they used to try and move this coffin, they couldn't get it to move. And the monks thought that this was because they just weren't they weren't worthy of moving someone so saintly, so pious, right? And then one of them suggested that the, that the queen will not stir until equal honours are performed to her husband. So they moved Malcolm's body up to this new grand high altar and lo and behold, this time, when they go to move Margaret, she went nay bother. Yeah. Amazing, right? I can tell you this, if uh, if that was my missus, if she was, if she was giving orders from beyond the grave, it would be the complete bloody opposite of that. She'd be like, ah, that prick... 
that boorish, illiterate moron doing there, you honestly think that he had anything to do with the centralisation of government and the move to the Catholic Church? Did he bollocks keep him in his place? This is all on me. The death of Malcolm and Margaret Canmore. It resulted in civil war in Scotland. Malcolm's brother, Donald Bain, who had fled to the Western Isles. Um, if you remember in the previous podcast, when uh, I told you when Macbeth, when he defeated uh, Malcolm's father, Duncan, Malcolm Canmore, he was forced to flee to England to, to try and get support of the English King Edward the Confessor. And his brother, Donald Bain, he had fled to the Western Isles. Well, Donald Bain, he was now leading a Celtic rebellion. There was a, After the death of Malcolm and Margaret, there was a... There was resentment towards the Anglicisation of Scotland, uh, and particularly against the foreign influence of Margaret Canmore. So Donald, he leads a successful Celtic rebellion, and he rules as Donald III, and it forces all of Malcolm and Margaret's children to flee to England, to Norman England to try and get the support of the English king, William II. And William II, he backed the rebellion that was led by Malcolm's son to Ingeborg, Duncan. If you remember, Duncan had been handed over at the Abernethy submission in 1072. And so Duncan was essentially fighting on behalf of, of William II. He'd been there for so long. Um, Duncan, he managed to defeat Donald, and he ruled very briefly as Duncan II, but in November 1094, he was murdered and Donald resumed his reign as Donald III. But not to worry, because William II, he had plenty of other Scottish heirs from Malcolm and Margaret up his sleeve. So in 1097, he backed another army, this time led by Edgar, Malcolm and Margaret's eldest son, and, uh, and he defeated Donald soundly before he hunted him down and blinded him and threw him in a dungeon, thus surely negating the point of actually blinding the guy. If you're going to put him in a... If I was going to blind someone, I don't know, I'd put them in a, a planetarium or something, you know, give like, like something interesting that they can't see and just shove them in a dungeon. Seems a bit pointless, you know. Anyway, Edward, he... Edgar, sorry, he ruled as a vassal king. It basically means that he was, he was king of Scotland in, in, in name only, really. He was propped up by William II. Um, it's a bit like being like the, you know how you've got the, the head of the Scottish Conservative Party or the Scottish Labour Party. Do you know what I mean? Like you can try and claim all you want that you're you're very important, you've got loads of power, but everyone knows that you're, you're basically just London's little bitch, you know? So despite his fondness for, you know, blinding folk and having them locked in dungeons and all that kind of malarkey, Edgar, he was... He was known as Edgar the Peaceable, and that's because um, when the Norwegian king Magnus Bearlegs, when hell of a name that, eh, hey, fantastic. When old, uh, when old Bearlegs, he undertook a, a, a very violent onslaught um, in the Western Isles. He was reasserting Norse sovereignty of the Western Isles. Edgar, he just offered no resistance. He just stood back and he allowed it to happen. I don't think it really makes him peaceful. It just means he was shite at defending. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like a Partick Thistle centre half. They're just rubbish. They're not necessarily peaceful, you know? But anyway, when Edgar died in 1107, his brother Alexander, the um, he became king, became Alexander I. This time, he was a, he was still a vassal king, but not to William II, but to Henry I. Henry was the only of William the Conqueror's children to actually be born in England. And Henry, he was Alexander's brother-in-law after he had married um, Alexander's sister, Edith. And then Alexander, he married Henry's illegitimate daughter, Sybil. Now, all this in marrying isn't because, you know, they were from Aloha or anything like that. It had a purpose. And that purpose was to further Normanize Scotland, to further align Scotland with the Kingdom of England and with the way that stuff was being run in the rest of Western Europe. 
all of the kings that followed after Macbeth, with the obvious exception of Donald III, they were trying to align themselves with the cultural forces that were coming from Western Europe. And this meant embracing the papacy. It meant embracing the feudal system and kind of French knightly culture. Now, the Normans may not have invaded Scotland. There was no kind of famous 1066 for Scotland. But unlike the Romans who had attempted to invade and, and didn't manage to assert their influence in Scotland, Norman influence by the time the 12th century came along, it certainly had its place in Scotland. Gradually, the old kind of Celtic kin-based kin values of Gaeldom and, and clanship, they were mixing with this kind of newfangled Norman way of doing things. And I suppose it's it's a bit like when, when, when Bob Dylan played that electric guitar for the first time, you know. Some folk are going to like it, some folk are not going to like it. But at the end of the day, you can't stop progress. So that brings us to the end of the podcast, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy the, the podcast, please do all the usual things <clears throat> that folk ask you to do at the end of podcasts. Uh, give it a rating, give it a share, become a follower, um, tell a friend. Uh, just all the kind of usual stuff that, that will help me get more listens. You can support the podcast on uh, on Patreon or on Buy Me A Coffee. If you've listened to a few and you I'd, I'd buy Daniel a coffee or a dram, you could do so um, at Buy Me A Coffee or you can give me the price of a coffee, a dram every month at Patreon. It really is appreciated. Uh, what I try to do each week is I give you a whiskey that connects with the podcast in some way and, and if I can raise enough money through my Patreon or buy me a coffee accounts, um, I will send a bottle of whiskey to someone who deserves it in this difficult time. So it could be like a frontline worker, uh, an NHS staff member, a patient parent, or just a thoroughly sound person. You can leave me a wee comment on Patreon or on buy me a coffee, or you can follow me on, on any of my social... So Patreon and buy me a coffee is at Montebank History of Scotland. Uh, my social media is at Montebank Tours. Or Instagram, Facebook, all the usual. You can leave a wee comment or you can send me a DM, whatever, nominate someone to get a bottle of whiskey. And if I can raise enough money, I will choose one at random and I'll send that whiskey out to you. Uh, the whiskey that I'm going to suggest today, um, it would be it would be impossible to talk about Margaret Canmore in a podcast and not choose a distillery in Fife because Fife plays such an important part. Um, first of all, of Margaret coming into Scotland, uh, she washed ashore in Fife. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have this huge cultural change in Scotland and impact that she had. Uh, and also, Margaret, she she really pushed the cult of St Andrew. So she, she encouraged pilgrimage to St Andrew and, and she made the town... Um, kind of really boom and thrive during her time. So I chose a distillery that's near St. Andrew, the one that's nearest to St. Andrew's, is King's Barnes Distillery. Now, there's there's no many distilleries in Fife, and King's Barnes is really good to see a distillery return to Fife. Uh, I think that they're a brand new distillery. I think their first bottling was only in 2015. Um, I must admit, I've not actually tried the whiskey myself. I've looked at their tasty notes. It's all kind of light. Uh, light, fruity, floral, all the kind of stuff you'd expect from uh, a first fill bourbon cask. Um, it looks absolutely delicious. And like I say, it's great to see distilling back in Fife. So if you want to nominate someone to potentially get a bottle of whiskey, give me a wee follow, give me a wee date, do all the usual stuff, get in touch. And if I can raise enough money, I will send a bottle out. Thank you so, so much for listening, folks. Uh, I hope to see you or hear from you next week. Uh, cheers. Bye bye.